check, check one, check one. See if it works this week. Genesis chapter 12, we're starting with verse 4 because last week we dove into verses 1 through 3. So here we are in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 12, the story of Abram. Soon to be the story of Abraham, but right now it's Abram. So if you would, read along with me. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he, that is Abraham, or Abram, built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar again to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. We're going to stop there, even though it's more as printed in your bulletin. We looked last week from verses 1 through 3 of Genesis chapter 12, at the call of Abram, very important piece of the chapter. We looked at the way that the call of Abram could dramatically change his life. And we looked at the fact that often people like to think of religion, they like to think of Christianity as something that you choose, that's something that you pick from options, right? There's lots of religious options in this world. But as we learn from the story of Abram and the story of Christians' lives, even now, It's actually God who does the choosing. He is the one who sends the call. And it dramatically changes a person's life when God enters into a life. So this week, we're going to see not just just the call, which we saw last week, but we're going to look at the journey of Abram. So once God calls someone, once God has moved in someone's life, he then sends them on a journey. It's always the same. It's what we call a story. It's what we call a life. And it dramatically impacts that person. You know, my favorite movie is The Born Identity. You guys ever seen The Born Identity? Love it. So great. Uh, it's a little violent, so kids, you know, take up the grain of salt. But I connect with that movie on a visceral level. Not just it's cool, there's some great chase scenes and great action and the fighting scenes are really amazing. No, I connect with it on a visceral level because of the amnesia of Jason Bourne. Uh, I think it's The fact that Jason Bourne has trauma. He's on a boat. He's trying to kill. He's an assassin in the movie. And he's trying to kill this guy named Daquana Wambosi. And he's on his yacht. And he can't do it. He has a change of heart. And so uh, Daquana Wambosi, who's on the boat, shoots him in the back. Trauma. Life trauma. And then he falls into the water and eventually gets picked up by some fishermen in the Mediterranean Sea. But he has amnesia. Because the trauma knocked out his memory. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know why he has these incredible fighting skills that he can take down an entire police army force with just his bare hands. Love it. Just cool. Just cool. But I think for me, I've had trauma in my life, and I actually have a period of my life where there was amnesia, where I still to this day have amnesia. And it, it has dramatically impacted my journey. It has been a profound impact on my journey. It's... it's it, who I am, what I choose to do, where I choose to go, 
was negatively impacted by that trauma. A lot of people call it PTSD, if you've ever heard of that term before. Something similar to that. I'm in counseling even to this day for some of the trauma in my own life. But what we're going to see here is the sort of opposite effect of trauma. And it's the fact that when God calls, when God enters a person's life, their journey through life is dramatically impacted in a very positive way. But that's something that the Lord always does. It's when he enters into someone's life, it's never, the person never, ever stays the same. There's always an incredible transformation that is about to take place. And we're going to see that in the life of Abram as God enters his life. There's four things we're going to see. They're printed in your bulletin if you'd like to take notes. It's on the back of that little insert you'll see in there. Thank you, Jacob, for putting that together. But we're going to see that we're not alone on our journey. When God enters into a life, you're not alone on our journey. We're going to see also that there's always opposition. The story of a person's life, when God has moved in, when God has taken residence, always involves opposition. There's an antagonist uh, now. And then also we're going to see a promise that God makes to Abram. The promise that God is with us in the midst of any struggle in our life. And also the promise that Jesus fulfills. And then lastly, we're going to look at the fact that Abram discovered his home was not here on this earth. It's often the discovery of someone who has had God move into their life. They discover that no longer is the stuff that I have in my house, no longer am I at home here totally on this earth. So let's dive in. Verse 4, chapter 12. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. What's striking here is Abraham's obedience. It's immediate. It's incredible. He's on this journey. God has moved into his life, and there there begins this process, this obedience. He takes off. He's 75 years old, so he's not young. (laughs) So he's entering into this journey at a very seasoned period in his life. But he's following God because God, again, has moved into his life. And then verse 5, it says, He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. What we see here is the fact that a lot of stuff went with him. When Abram moved out from Haran, he was going into the promised land, and he took people with him. He took stuff with him. That's often the case when someone has been called by God and their journey begins. There's often people that come along with them, right? So sometimes it's a spouse, sometimes it's kids, sometimes it's friends. And and all the possessions, they move forward. When, When God has moved in someone's life, when God has called someone, there is a train that goes behind them. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of family you're coming from. It doesn't matter what kind of friends you have. There's always people that are going to get pulled along. So the question, I think, the application for us as we look at this first verse is, who are you bringing with you? Who are you taking along on the journey? If God has called you, who are you bringing with you? It's never alone. That's why we do church, right? It's never, the, the, the journey after God calls, it's never a journey alone. It's always with other people. And it's, that's where we begin to grow. It's where we begin to change. Because God has made us relational people because he's a relational God. And it's so important for us to be deeply connected in covenant relationship with other people, with other, others of those that God has called. So finally, Abram arrives in the promised land. Do you know why it's called the promised land? Take a wild guess. It was promised to him. Well done. Thank you. It was promised to him. Exactly. God promised it to him. He said, I'm going to give you this land. We're going to see that come up even later on in the verses we're studying here this morning. 
chapter, but let's look at verse 6. And we're going to enter into now our second point. We're going to talk a little bit about opposition. When God calls, he sends. And when he sends, there will be opposition. Always. Always. So Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem, which is about 40 miles north of Jerusalem. And it says in verse 6, at that time, there were Canaanites in the land. That is putting it very, very, very mildly. There are people who are going to attack him viciously and regularly. They're going to attack his ancestors. This is going to be a major story in the Bible. This battle between the people of God and the people of Canaan. And we're going to get into that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're diving in. Uh, so get ready. If you've always wondered, why are those battles all over the Old Testament? We're going to look into it. Uh, and it's, you know, some of it is amazing. Some of it's not pretty. But it's what God was doing as he was calling people into the promised land. But again, we're not getting into that today. What we see here, though, is that Abram is facing opposition immediately as he steps into the promised land. Trials come. When God calls, he sends. And when he sends, there's an enemy. Trials are going to come. You know, I love, Tim Keller talks about this a lot, and I think he makes a good point. He's this pastor who works up in New York, and he talks about the fact that a lot of times people, and especially Christians, are surprised by suffering. And yet, we read in Scripture over and over and over and over again, don't be surprised. It's not surprising. Suffering is not surprising. It's going to come, and it's going to keep coming, and I'm going to give you the resources to deal with it. We're going to see that in this passage. But there's always going to be opposition. It's why every movie that you see, every good one, has to have an antagonist. It just, you don't connect with a book or a movie or even a TV show unless there's some sort of antagonist because what you recognize immediately is this doesn't square with real life. If there's not an antagonist, it doesn't square with real life. There's got to be the bad guy. How many of you are going to see Solo? tomorrow. It's coming out. Oh, man. Okay, whatever. We're not going to get into Star Wars then. I won't. I'll just skip that illustration. What's that? You saw it yourself? Was it good? Okay, great. Thanks. Anyway, moving on. So Abram stops. He gets in the promised land. He stops at this great tree of Morah in Shechem. Morah, Hebrew word, means teaching or instruction. So what that basically means is that Abram stops at this tree And this is the tree where the people of that land would go to get instructions from their God. That's what Mora means. It means this tree is a shrine. This is a place where the people are going to learn about and get instruction about how to live life from their gods. And it's no coincidence that God puts Abram right here and he says, I appear to you. This is where God appears here at this tree, appears to Abraham, and what does he do? He renews the promise. That's what God does at this tree. He says, I am going to give you this land, and it's going to, it's going to go to your offspring. And basically, God is saying at this point, Abram, this, all that you see, is mine. It's mine. This, this, this is not owned ultimately by the Canaanites. That I am the creator of the universe, and I own the universe. And this is where I'm going to take a little stand. I'm going to take some, some, some uh, ground back, and I'm going to give this land to your offspring. We're going to dig into that promise here in just a minute. But I think it's important for us to just remember 
This is the same concept that Romans talks about in the New Testament, chapter 8, verse 31. It says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? God is saying, yes, Abram, there's going to be opposition. You're, you're going to have, if you follow me, you're going to have opposition. You're going to have enemies. But I'm going to be with you. I'm always going to be with you. I'm going to show up like I'm showing up here at this tree. And I'm going to show you how I'm going to protect you. Because that's what he's saying to him. Let's look at Psalm 91. That's another cool place where uh, the psalmist says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. That's my left hand. Ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Because that's the kind of God I am. When I say it's mine, it's mine. I enter into cultures, I enter into countries, I enter into lives, I enter into families, and I say, this is mine. Uh, because, because I love. That's what I do. I call people back to myself, I love people, and I bring them into relationship with me. There's a confidence that comes from that. That's what Abram is getting. He's entering in this land, he's a foreigner, he's a stranger, there's enemies all around him, it looks bleak. But God is sitting him down at this tree, this tree that would have been um, offensive to him, would have been, he, he would have thought it weird that he was in a shrine for a false god in this land that he was entering into. But God's saying, look, I got you. I'm with you. You are not going to go this alone. I'm with you on this journey. I'm going to show up. There's going to be new supplies of grace to meet you every point along the way. That's the kind of journey that God sends people on. He says there's going to be new supplies of grace at every point along the path of obedience. I am going to be with you. And I'm also, not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to supply you with what you need. I'm not going to send you out there high and dry to wither on the vine. I'm going to bring my stores of goodness, of hope, of plenty. Because again, I own it. It's mine. I give and I take as I please. He never leaves us. He never leaves us. Now, I want to reiterate this point about the fact that God is with us and he is for us. Okay, so we looked, just a, just a second ago, we looked at the fact that there's always people that come along with us. Just like Abram, if we're on a journey, if God has called us, there's always people that come along with us. There's always opposition. We see that from the story of Abram right here in this passage in Genesis. And then we see that God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way because I care for you because I'm, this is all about a relationship. This is, all about, this is all about God's relationship with Abram. It's what he does. He moves into people's lives. But he says, this is so super important for us. Because we often think that if God or if anyone gives us a promise, right, that they're going to do something great for us, that then we have got to return the favor. A lot of people think that about Christianity. That it's like, okay, okay just like Abram, um, God is going to move in my life. He's going to provide for me. Oh, cool. You know, I mean, you watch televangelists every once in a while. God is going to bless you. You're going to be provided. It's going to be amazing. He's going to shower money into your life. It's going to be awesome. And so, there's, and so we hear these promises a lot. And so we often think that it's like, okay, what's the catch? If you watch some of the televangelists on TV, the catch is mail in your check. Then mail in your seed money. And then God's blessings are going to flow into your life. So there's the catch. There's the catch. Mail in your money. And there's others that would say, okay, 
God is going to be for you. He's going to help you. But you've got, you got to be good. You gotta be, you're, you're not nice. Like, I, I've gotten to know you now. You're not nice. I'm not saying that about any of y'all, of course, obviously. But you need to, you got to do X, Y, and Z, or else God's just going to rip it out from under you. You know, you, you, you need to improve your life. I heard what you were doing last weekend. I saw what you've been looking at online. I, whatever, whatever it is, you know, clean it up, shape up. Maybe some of these blessings are going to start flowing your way. Nope. Not what's happening here. God's saying, I am going to bless you, Abram. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to provide for you. And it's not going to be because of your faithfulness. It's going to be because of my faithfulness. And how do we know that? Because it says, it says God's promise was that to your offspring or to your seed, I will give this land. Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 says this. The promises, these promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people. But, and to your seed, singular, meaning one person who is Christ. Paul is teaching us in Galatians that this passage is talking about Jesus Christ. God is promising Abraham not the land for all his ancestors, but he's promising the land on the basis of Jesus. So the receiving of God's promises, the receiving of God's promises, we learn from Abram right here, depends not on our circumstances or the faithfulness of Abraham, It depends upon the faithfulness of his descendant, Jesus Christ. It's a foreshadowing. That's what this is called, a foreshadowing. It's the case, this is the case also with every promise of God. Every promise of God. We don't earn it. Every promise of God. We don't get it because we're good. We get it because of what Jesus Christ did for all this. The Bible says in Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are earned for us and shown to be absolutely true. And Abram, in testimony to this truth, He then immediately, in verse 7, it says he built an altar to the Lord. This is only the second time in all scriptures that an altar is built to the Lord. The first time is when Noah is exiting the uh, big ark and he builds an altar to the Lord. Why do you, I mean, what's the point of building an altar, right? What's an altar? Anybody? Place to pray, pray, absolutely. Place to sacrifice, yep, yep, exactly. An altar then is, this is Abram immediately recognizing payment has to be made. It's the reason he built an altar. Payment, a sacrifice has got to take place for me to get these promises of God. Again, he was even, and this is what, this, this is what Romans teaches us in chapter 4, Abram's faith. It was by faith that he received the promises of God. It was not because he was a good guy. It was not because he was faithful. It was not because he never failed. It was because of God's faithfulness in his descendant, Jesus Christ. He built an altar to the Lord, which was a way of pointing forward that a sacrifice must be made for sin. Sin is awful. Sin destroys lives. It wrecks people. And there's got to be something. There has to be a sacrifice. This is, this is what you're going to read over and over and over and over in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. A sacrifice must be made. Blood must be shed. There has to be payment. Justice has to take place. So this altar represents that. It represents the fact that we also receive the promised land. We receive the, the blessings of God and the blessings of heaven. We receive it through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice. 
at the altar. And then lastly, the altar also represents fellowship with God. That's what we do here. We're still doing it. <laughs> Abram did it. We're still doing it. We come to worship. We come before God because we know we come to receive his promises, his love, his goodness. All right, final point. Final point. So Abram uh, has found out that he's going to be sent on a journey. In obedience, he goes. And he finds out that he's going to take people along with him. He finds out that he's going to be opposed, but that God will be with him the entire way. And then he also finds out that God's promises are going to come true in his life, not because he is awesome or he is faithful, but because God is faithful. And God is going to shower his grace upon him. Which then leads us to our final point. He's also going to see in verse 8. Let's read verse 8. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Abram kept exploring. He kept moving. He knew this journey that I'm on is with God. That's the most important part. My, my life is, is totally changed. There's a profound impact that is being made by the fact that God is now with me. God is with me on my journey. And I have to learn, I have to know, I have to feel, I have to see that what God is telling me is that this is not my home. That I am not ultimately going to find peace, satisfaction. The Old Testament uses the word shalom. You ever heard the word shalom? It means settledness. It means okayness. It means I'm going to go home and I'm going to rest and I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It means I can sleep. It means stress-free. It means quietness of soul. It really means all that. It means prosperity. It means health. Shalom. And what, what, what God is showing Abram here is that shalom is not in the house you're going to build on this plot of earth. Shalom is in me. I am your home. The Bible purposefully uses the word pitch his tent. He doesn't say he built his tent. He pitched it. God's saying your life, your journey with me at the helm is going to be one of pilgrimage. You're not ever going to find home on this earth. You're going to look for it. (laughs) We look for it. I look for it. The next thing I buy, it's going to take me home. The next place I move, going to take me home. The next house I live in, going to take me home. I'm finally going to arrive and be like, yes, life is good. I've settled. I'm done. But then I get there and I'm like, wow, the grass is not only greener, it's brown and it's dying. (laughs) Christy and I talk about this all the time. It's just a disappointing process to try to find our ultimate shalom, our ultimate home, on this earth. It just isn't there for us. And that's why Abram is going to be on the move. He's going to keep on moving. Y'all, um, Abram's brother, Nahor, built an entire city and named it after himself. Uh, it was called Monticello. I'm kidding. It actually wasn't called Monticello. Um, but Abram, all he ever had was tents and altars. That's it. The only thing left behind was little altars, little piles of rocks for sacrifice. Um, and of course, the world would say Nahor would be a success, right? He built a lot. He built institutions. He built a city. He's the successful one. His name is carried on. But who are we talking about this morning? 
Nahor or Abram? Abram. Because we're looking at what God has done in life, not what somebody has done with their life. And God does some amazing things. It's what we talked about last week when we were looking at the call of Abraham. Abraham was an incredibly ordinary dude who failed constantly. And God's like, I am committing to you. I'm in. We're doing this together. This is a journey we're going to take together. And I am your home. I am your home, ultimately. Doesn't matter where you move. Doesn't matter where you go. Doesn't matter what circumstance you end up in your life. If you're in a hospital room, if you're destitute living on the street, if you're buying a brand new mansion, that's not your home. I'm your home. It's in me. It's in the relationship that I've called you into and now that I'm going to journey with you in. So here's the thing. Quick application. Check the time. Boom. Oh, we're looking good. A couple of applications, actually. Um, We love, the Bible says, we love other people because he first loved us. That's what we're seeing here in this passage. The grace that God is pouring into the life of Abraham is not for Abraham to hoard uh, for himself. He says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. It's this concept of, y'all, when, when, we, when we really grasp, like when it, when it sinks in, that all that God has done for me, all the good things I have in my life, all of the, the blessings, my children, my family, my home, whatever it is, when we finally get to the point where we see it's not because of me, I didn't do it. It's, that's the moment we see grace. We see holy mackerel, I don't deserve it. Holy cow, God, you're good. Holy mackerel, I've been so unfaithful, consistently unfaithful, constantly unfaithful, and yet you still bless me and pour into me. That's when we step into another person's life and we say, you know, I'm going to love you not because of what you give back to me, but because of what I've already been given. That's when we really start to love. We start to reach out. We start to serve. We start to give. We start to give to other people. It's hard to give, y'all. I like to take and I like to build and I like to own more stuff. Um, but God is saying here, that's not, that's not my heart. That's not how I operate. I give. I bless. I pour out into others. Now go pour out in my name. One other quick thing. One other quick application. Um, are you frantic? I don't know where you're at this morning. I, I didn't have a chance to talk with anybody in depth. But are, are, do you find yourself sometimes frantic in your shirts for home? for shalom. Everybody does at some point. It may not be right now, but there's a sense of like, okay, if I can just fix this circumstance, this circumstance, this circumstance, and get that, and then get that job, and then move into that, and then pay off that, and then do that, I'm going to arrive. Y'all, we all all get into that mode. I've been in that mode plenty in my own life. And I think what Abraham's story teaches us to some degree is that God's saying, I'm your home. You're home. You're home now. Like you don't need to work out the 15 different situations you think you need to work out. You can rest today. You can stop today. You can just sit, accept my love, receive my grace, and settle on down. God, that's where God wants us. That's the place God wants us in. He doesn't want us frantic. He doesn't want us chasing after the next little thing that's going to maybe bring that little modicum of happiness for a couple a half hour or so. He wants us to just be like, this is enough. I can just chill. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) 
Oh, I long for it. I long for it. Let's pray. Lord God, you are an amazing God. You call us. You join us. You work through us, in us, from us. But most of all, Lord, as you teach us here in this passage in Genesis, you are with us. You're with us. You're not going to leave us. You're not going to abandon us. Lord, it's not dependent upon our faithfulness. You're not just going to walk away one day because we haven't been good enough. Lord, you've committed to us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would become enraptured with your grace, that we would be floored by your goodness, that we would be melted by your love. Lord, we want that peace that you offer the home that comes from knowing you, from being near you. Lord, thank you, for, thank you for the story of Abram. It just is like this incredible picture of a journey, a life with God, Lord. I pray that you continue to teach us from Abram's story, of how you work, who you are, what you do, how you love. Lord, thank you for this chapter this, and this beautiful time together. Lord, we pray for those, uh, we thank you for those that have sacrificed themselves. Lord, speaking of altar, we thank you for those that have sacrificed themselves so that we can sit here, stand here this morning and praise your name, that have given themselves for our country. Lord, thank you that we can celebrate them a little bit this weekend. Lord, be with comfort families who are even now hurting because they lost a child or a sister or a brother or a dad, Lord, in fighting for the freedom that we get to experience today. Lord, help us to appreciate those that have served in that way, Lord, that have given themselves uh, to give something to us. And Lord, I pray that we would, our, our own, ourselves, we would sacrifice in, in that same way with those around us, with neighbors and friends. Lord, teach us to love in that manner. We pray also in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this meal that we have here this morning, if I turn this chair, this meal is a picture a visible picture of the fact that God just keeps on giving, that he feeds, that he nourishes, that he's with us. It's called communion for a reason, right? You know what communion means? You may know what communion means? Like, yes, coming together, right? This is Jesus uniting himself in a visible picture to us, and Jesus in a visible picture uniting us with one another. So let's come now to the table because he said when he was in the upper room with the disciples, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you because I love you. And I want you to keep on eating this meal in remembrance of me. If you would uh, just peel off a little piece and then pass it around and, and try not to like spit on it. Thanks. Thanks.